0: All right, good evening, Providence. If you've got kiddos and you would like to request a coloring packet with some crayons, or if you just want one for yourself, raise your hand. The ushers will bring one to you, and either you or your children can be occupied during this service. Keep them up, and we'll make sure that you get those. In 1975, the band Nazareth had a hit song. Does anybody know the hit song by Nazareth in 1975 having to do with the theme of love? I see lots of hands, so Isaiah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> anybody know? I know you've heard the song, but I'd be surprised if anybody remembered that it was this particular song. Love hurts. Here's some of the lyrics Love hurts, love scars, love wounds, and marks any heart not tough or strong enough to take a lot of pain, take a lot of pain. Love is like a cloud, holds a lot of rain, love hurts. A Few years later, 1979, Bette Midler sang the song, The Rose, and in that song is a line, some say love, it is a razor that leaves the heart to bleed. Yes. 1993, the band from Germany, Hadaway had a hit. Know that song? Oh, you do, Raheel. There it is, baby, don't hurt me. Yes, yes, the song, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me, no more. 2012, Jack White wrote a song about love called Love Interruption. End of all of these, this one's my favorite. He says, I want love to roll me over slowly, stick a knife inside me, and twist it all around. Colorful. I want love to grab my fingers gently, slam them in a doorway, put my face into the ground. Hang in there with me. I want love to murder my own mother and take her off to somewhere like hell or up above. What is he singing about there? It's not murdering his mother. He's singing about the pain that is inherent in love. So if you have lost a loved one and you think about what he's saying, you can actually resonate with the pain that he's expressing, this pain of loss that is a part of love. It's inherent. Love comes, or pain comes along with love. And you all know this. Nothing hurts quite like love. Merry Christmas a little different than Osvaldo's story. This is our final sermon in a series on the three virtues Paul lists out in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. He says, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. But the reality is that love hurts, and it's not just famous singers that think so. Painters have painted the pain of love. Authors have written novels about it. Every movie about love, even the cheesiest rom-com, has some element of pain in the story that has to be resolved. And deeper than all of these art forms, your own heart has taught you this truth about love, that love hurts. The pain of your love being spent on someone but never returned. The pain of someone you love walking out on a relationship, the pain of watching someone you love destroy themselves with an addiction or a series of bad decisions, the pain of watching a loved one take their final breath. The Bible doesn't shy away from this reality. From start to finish, the overwhelming pain of love is right at the center of the story of God. We don't have time to trace that thread, though it is well worth tracing, we're just going to look at one verse, then we're going to focus on one word, and then we're going to consider one outcome of love. So first, the one verse, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is written by the apostle who called himself in his writings, the apostle whom Jesus loved. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What is love? John is defining love in these few words, this one verse, and it is not self-defined by us. It didn't originate from within us. We were at best, according to John and according to the rest of the authors of Scripture, we were at best indifferent to God, and at worst, we actively hated Him. And either way, Scripture declares we were all His enemies, And not one of us loved him first. So if we want a definition of love, John says, we cannot find it within ourselves or within our fractured communities. That's not where we go to find the definition of love. We have to look elsewhere. And this brings us to our one word, propitiation. This is the best English word to translate the Greek word that John uses here, but it's so rarely used in our vernacular that we don't know what it really means. We don't understand its full connotation. The word literally translates, uh, or has been literally translated into atoning sacrifice, and in a lot of biblical or Bible translations, they use that phrase in place of this word atoning sacrifice. But the word is a good word. It means averting the wrath of God by offering a gift. In fact, according to Webster's Dictionary, all of the synonyms for the word propitiation fall short because all of the synonyms have to do with lessening the anger or easing the anger. But the word propitiation has to do with completely averting the anger. So propitiation means it is done away with. It doesn't just lessen God's wrath and make him slightly less angry with us. Jesus completely averted the anger and wrath of God from us. We will never taste it or experience it. Even in the final day of judgment, we will never experience it because God is a just God and all of his wrath was poured out on Christ in that one atoning sacrifice and that sacrifice emptied the wrath of God for us. So the word propitiation is a great word. And every time the word is used in the Bible, that gift that is averting the wrath of God is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slaughtered before the foundation of the earth, the baby in a manger that we celebrate this season every year. And right here, right at the heart of John's definition of love, we see pain. We see blood. You cannot have love. True, sin-forgiving, life-transforming, destiny-shaping, death-defying love without pain. It does not exist. And when the angels announced the birth of the newborn king, first to Mary and then to the shepherds, buried in their message was this reality. When the angel Gabriel said to Mary, you're going to have a son, he didn't just say that. He said, who will take away the sins of the world? the sins of his people. And when the angels announced it to the shepherds, they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. What is this announcement of amnesty, if not a declaration of the ending of war? Right? Along with this announcement of peace, it is implied we have been at war and that's all we've known, but now there's peace. There's peace and now God is pleased with us because of this baby that is coming. How was peace going to happen? Actually, in the second verse of Jack White's brutal love interruption that I was just reading, and I wish I could sing for you, but you don't want that. He writes, I want love to walk right up and bite me, grab a hold of me and fight me, leave me dying on the ground. And that is how peace was won. Jesus, the baby in a manger, would go on to defeat our mortal enemy. And if we remember the story in Genesis, when the promise was first made, the promise was made that the enemy would bite the heel of the one who was coming, but the one who was coming would crush the serpent's head. Remember that? That is how our peace was won, and Jesus, the Son of God, was left dying. And that's not where he stayed. Love was so powerful that Jesus could embrace it and be empowered by it to face even death, but then after death, be resurrected by love into new life, which now he dispenses to all of us. Amen. Thank you for that. In fact, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And he says in that passage, that's exactly what he's calling his followers to do. And in many other passages where he would say things like, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll gain it. Or if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross and follow me. In other words, if I'm going to go, you're going to see me go all the way. You're going to see love carry me all the way to the cross for you. And that love, if it's truly inside of you, will compel you to do the same for others. So to understand love, we've looked at one verse, 1 John 4.10. We've looked at one word, propitiation. In closing, we're going to look at one outcome of this love. And in reality, and in all honesty, there are two possible outcomes to the pain of love. We've seen this as people age and get older and get more experienced with the pain of love, sometimes they can shut themselves off to it, right? That is one response to the pain of love. Just wall yourself off to it. Never feel it again because you don't want to hurt like that again. And never give it out again. And just be walled off to love and to emotion. C.S. Lewis writes about this possible outcome. He says, "'Love anything and your heart will be wrong and possibly broken.'" If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So while there is the one possible outcome of this expensive love that has been poured out on us and which we are called to pour out on others, one possible outcome is to wall ourselves off from that kind of pain. And we see actually Jesus being tempted with this solution in the garden, don't we? Let this cup pass from me is a cry to say no more. (laughs) No more. Let this pass from me. But he was obedient all the way to the point of death. Thankfully, for our sake, he was obedient all the way to the point of death. So there is another outcome. If faith, if we remember from a couple of weeks ago, if faith is the embodied fidelity to kingdom values and hope is an embodied confidence, love is embodied sacrifice. More specifically, the biblical definition of love is the embodied sacrifice of oneself for the sake of another. That's what love is, according to Scripture. And John actually brings us to this conclusion in his very next verse, in verse 11. If God so loved us, he writes, we also ought to love one another. So this Christmas, may the love of God born in our hearts go all the way to its logical conclusion in us May our faith empower us and may our hope encourage us this Christmas season to love fully all the way through the point of pain because we have a God who loved us. And his love now empowers us to go and love others. We say it on the wall every week. We love God together and then we love our church family together and then we go out and we love our neighbor together. Yes, love hurts, but no amount of pain in this life for the sake of others will compare to the glory that will be revealed in and through us in the last day. So may we embody this greatest of all virtues in our homes, in this church, on our blocks, in our neighborhoods, in the workplaces, and may the world experience the power of this church overflowing with love. So now, faith, hope, and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that that is all that is waiting for us in our future, is uh, the inexhaustible pouring out of your love and kindness over us that was bought for us by Christ. Thank you for his obedience all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. Thank you for his exaltation out of the grave and into new life to his throne where he sits And thank you for this life now that works in us to bring life to others. Father, I pray that we would embody this love in our daily lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.